0: While we wait for Francis to join us, I think I'm going to start with uh, Sir Robert Cooper. Uh, So just to really thank you all for joining us today, Uh, we have Sir Robert Cooper with us, who's a former British diplomat with an extensive background in Foreign Service on behalf of Britain all over the country. um, Francis? she is trying to join us. Um, and then we have Francis Burgle with us, who will be jumping on in a minute, who is a Distinguished Fellow at the Future Europe Initiative at the Atlantic Council, and we're very thankful to have both of them with us today. Um, so we're going to start with just a little background um, <clears throat> to hear about the Brexit, and we can start with Sir Robert Cooper. Um, everyone, just about everyone now is familiar with the progression of Brexit and everything that's been going on, especially with everything that's in the news today with today's development. Um, however, I'd like to go back a few years. Can you tell us what it is that happened that got us to this point, um, how we got here, and what led the UK, you know, what led a nation to leave a union such as the European
1: Union? Well, um, I'm tempted to say that this is the result of a series of accidents rather than any carefully thought-out plan. Um, uh, The the reason that the referendum was held was because there was a problem in the Conservative Party. Now, this problem's been around for some time. Um, If you look back, you find that um, uh, Margaret Thatcher's departure, this is going some way back, Margaret Thatcher's departure from office um, was connected to a quarrel about the European Union. Uh, John Major was given a uh, torrid time by um, anti-European conservative backbenchers, although he was actually rather good prime minister and handled EU issues very well. Nevertheless, he had a tough time of it. Um, and uh, David Cameron at some point said, um, look, uh, this party, the Conservative Party, is wasting all its time arguing about Europe. We ought to be getting on with the issues that people in this country really care about, education, health, housing, infrastructure, those things. Um, so I'm going to deal with this problem once and for all. We're going to have a referendum, we're going to settle the matter once and for all, and then all of the uh, anti-Europeans can, uh, um, can kind of go back where they came from, and we'll get on with the real business of life. However, the, in, however the referendum went wrong. That's roughly it. If you ask. Cameron went round saying, uh, the people of Britain are demanding a say on Europe. This was never the case. Um, if you looked at the opinion polls, what were the top ten issues that people cared about, the EU was never mentioned. Um, that, however, was not true for the Conservative Party. Um, and therefore, this was, um, in fact, he's on record, somewhere or other, saying to Nick Clegg, well, we have to do this. It's basically a question of party management. So that, I'm afraid, is where, the, where we got the referendum from. It was a problem in the Conservative Party. Um, um, the second question is, why did people vote leave? Um, that needs a bit more explanation. Thank you, Sir
0: Robert Cooper. Francis, we have you on now? Yes. All right. Sorry Thank about you. that. No, that is completely fine. Uh, Sorry for any trouble that may cause. Uh, So we just, uh, Sir Robert Cooper touched on (laughs) what sort of led us to Brexit, and I want to see if you wanted to comment on it. Um, Everyone's, you know, just about everyone's familiar with everything that's been progressing and going on in the last, you know, year, few months, and then especially today. Uh, But if you can kind of comment on, in your opinion, what you see as some of the biggest factors that led to Brexit, and, you know, what is, as asked Sir Robert Cooper, what is it that led a nation or an area uh, to leave the European Union.
2: So I agree with what I heard of uh, Sir Robert's uh, explanation of this as a conservative party uh, internal um, necessity or stru- uh, struggle. Um, I think that in many ways what we're watching um, all the way through today is a struggle in a party system that doesn't quite fit anymore and is very divided about this particular issue. But I would go back a little bit further and say that the media in the UK, at least certain very influential media uh, outlets, um, particularly those run by Rupert Murdoch, have long had a very anti-EU tone. um, And they have often focused on the EU, much more so um, than much, giving it much more time than it really deserves in, in the life of the normal everyday person who's not in, in politics. And I can recall campaigns when the EU first brought metrics in, and the people at the at the um, at the uh, green grocers had to suddenly weigh things in kilograms rather than imperial measures. So. I think there, are, there has long been an anti-EU flavor in the news that many normal, everyday Britons have received, and that goes back a couple of decades. Quite a um, long
1: time. And yes. I, take uh, this. Yep.
2: I, I would also say that there is, in, in British cultural history, I guess I would put it that way, a feeling that Britain is often at its best when it is on its own and under siege. And we have seen the Brexiteers sometimes talk about the Blitz uh, and things of that nature. And so I think there, there is this, there's long been a feeling in the U.K. among certain quarters that the U.K. is part of Europe but not in Europe. And we can go back to uh, Winston Churchill commenting about the – I think it was the Messina Conference, it was one of the early conferences where um, the European communities and the Coal and Steel community were being discussed, and he was all in favor of it, but not with Britain in it. So I think that there are some longer term cultural and media information uh, influences that also have affected this.
1: Perhaps I could add to that. I mean, that's certainly true that the, um, the media has become very hostile um, uh, for reasons that I'm not sure that I really understand. Um, right. But uh, actually, unfortunately, um, there is a dramatic, widespread ignorance about the European Union. Um, it's not very easy to understand anyway. It's rather complicated. It's rather distant from everybody's lives. Um, and yet, in many ways, um, it, everyone's. Everyone's lives are governed by it in ways that they don't understand at all. In that, for example, um, about 60% of the fresh vegetables we eat um, arrive from Europe um, and they pass through customs without anybody checking them um, uh, in any way at all. And that, kind of, that sort of stuff goes on every day, but nobody's aware of it. They think that that's a normal part of life. They don't understand that making that kind of thing happens actually requires governments to work together. Um, uh, just, so, go ahead, sorry. I, hello?
0: Yes.
2: Yes, I agree with that. Um, I've been surprised by the number of, um, by some British friends who are not involved in politics at all, who have asked me about what Brexit would mean and discovered that it means quite a lot to their particular businesses So, uh, in surprising ways. You know, bringing uh, animals from the continent and suddenly discovering that they have to have additional veterinary uh, qualifications. But I would also say that one of the things that, is, that we should be looking at is the way that, since the referendum, it seems to me that there has been a bringing together in the minds of those who voted for Brexit, particularly in the north of England, so people who are not part of London and Westminster and are actually working the politics of this, some of whom believe in Brexit as well, but the average uh, citizen, um, that there is this bringing together of the EU with... The lack of control in their own lives
1: in a mm-hmm. negative way. Mm-hmm.
2: And so mm-hmm. this the campaign for Brexit was about, quote, taking back control, unquote. And so if you read reports from journalists who have been outside of London and talking to average people who favor Brexit, they are very enraged about the lack of competence that they see to follow up with the decision that they see as having been made in the referendum and today in london this afternoon you have some uh, very disquieting demonstrations going on with far-right speakers that i i find rather disturbing
1: um, on the other hand i participated last saturday um, yes. in a very large demonstration as usual the figures are disputed um, uh it looked very large to me. Um uh, actually I've I've never it's years since I've been on any demonstration at all. This was a pro European demonstration. And um it was extremely good humoured and um uh and actually there were quite a lot of amusing placards being being held up. Um uh and these are the people who were actually demonstrating saying we don't want to leave the European Union. Um Uh, some say there were a million. Um, uh, That, I I don't know. Um, I know that something close to six million have now signed a petition um, in that sense. So um, there's no doubt that the country is very, very deeply divided by this question.
0: Uh, Just to touch upon that, before I move on to the next question, both of you mentioned the media. Um, How much of an effect do you think foreign media influence may have played um, a role on this. There was a lot of reports of all sorts of, you know, maybe Russian media or any media that necessarily does not favor a strong European Union that may have played a role in spreading, you know, false news, uh, false summaries and analysis of different things. Do you think foreign media
1: played a a role in Brexit? I would say yeah. Yeah, I was going to (laughs) to say... um, if it did, it wasn't a very big role. Um, I, I was, would disagree with yeah.
2: that some bit because I think, although there were many people who were inclined to vote for Brexit, I think that the temperature was raised. First off, um, it now seems that Aaron Banks, one of the primary uh, opponents of Brexit, um, received some financing uh, from originally from Russia. And I think that's still being investigated, so I don't want to say more than that. Um, But also, I had once, um, Facebook is something that has been very active and I think we have seen in our own experience here in the United States how Facebook can be used to multiply the impact of certain messages. So I think this is a topic that needs to be investigated, and not to try and reverse anything, but so that we better understand how these external influences um, may be
1: manipulating
2: uh, media.
1: I, I, think, I think that's true. I, I'm a little bit skeptical about what the scale of this was. On the other hand, the result of the referendum was extremely close, and so it's possible that a... You know, that a relatively modest campaign may have made a difference somewhere. There were one or two other things that made a difference as well. I mean, the, the campaign um, the campaign to leave the, the, the EU was um, much better run, much better organized than the campaign to remain, had a much clearer message, um, uh, told a very large number of lies, um, uh, and was also, in one sense, um, uh, they, as usual, as one would expect, they made uh, quite a lot of fuss about immigration. Um, and this happened just at the time when um, there was a vast flood of refugees from Syria um, uh, going into, uh, into Greece, and there was a real crisis over there, which was appearing on the TV screens. Um, and uh, this was used in, in some of the publicity as well. Um, Nothing at all to do with the UK, which I'm sorry to say has been extremely um, uh, unwilling to take refugees from Syria. Um, But nevertheless, uh, this was used to create uh, an overheated atmosphere on the question of immigration in the background.
0: Gosh, so then if we were to move to the latest developments as of today. Um another Brexit vote failed, uh third in a row. Um so what now? How do you what is your analysis of what happened today and how do you, the UK uh moves forward from this and what might next steps be? Um and then Sir Robert Cooper, we can go ahead and start with you. You you want me to start? Or well, we can go to Francis or whatever you feel. Well
1: why did we ask the Francis first? Because I'm okay. <laughs> I'm so confused I didn't <laughs> no
2: problem. <laughs> well, I think that we're now closer to a no-deal exit. Um, the, if you believed in Brexit, um, the taking the withdrawal agreement, approving it, is the logical way forward. But as was pointed out earlier by Robert, the Conservative Party is so divided on this question, and I think we saw Labor playing party politics rather than putting the good of the country to the fore. Um, And I'm not at all convinced that there is an option out there that has a positive consensus. So if we play this out, what will happen now is that the prime minister should come up with an alternative to present to the European Council on April 10th. And any extension will require uh, the UK to participate in the European Parliament elections at the end of May. And I understand that that will require getting legislation through the Commons. And I have to say, I've become very skeptical about that uh, because many of those who believe in Brexit um, wish, We'll see that as a as a as a betrayal. Um, I am not confident that we can that we're at a point where we can find where the British can find a way back to undo the effect of the 2016 referendum. I wish that were the case. Um, that that a long extension could be granted. They would participate in the European Parliament elections and would then find a way to revoke Article 50 and become engaged
1: in the EU. Uh,
2: but I'm not optimistic that that's going to happen.
1: Well, can I... Um, uh, the, that scenario is, is one scenario, but um, the one thing that is clear, if we just look at the House of Commons for a moment, the one thing is, that is clear is that um, a large number of people are uh, very scared of the so-called no-deal exit. That is clear, and will will not want it to happen. I mean, this will be this has got all kinds of uh, uh, possibilities for uh, being uh, a, a large disaster, including things that nobody has thought of, which I think is the largest category of, of disaster areas. Um, Uh, And so I think people will want to avoid that. Um, And the way in which you avoid that is, well, you accept what the the EU will offer, which is will offer a long extension um, uh, of uh, the Article 50 deadline, um, a year, um, at least, say, maybe even more, um, um, with the intention of offering the UK a time to get its chance to get its act together and think about it. It will have to, um, uh, the UK will have to participate in the European Parliamentary elections. Um, uh, Speaking entirely for myself, uh, I have no problem for that. Um, I would run a kind of, um, uh, if it could be done, I would start a new party entitled We Are Europe or something of the kind and get all of the people who... Um, wanted to remain um, the million or however many it was who marched, the six million who signed the petition uh, to vote for it, and say ignore these other parties; they've they've made a mess. Now, whether you could whether one could do that in the time required or not, I don't know. But um, kind of almost hold a kind of rerun of a referendum in the European Parliament elections. However, that's only me. But there may be others um, who, who who think like me um, who would would want to do that. Um, uh, The second possibility, and that is um, that uh, when the um, government reaches an impasse, one thing that governments can do um, with a little bit of effort um, is they can call general elections. Um, Labour Party has been saying that's their preferred option for a long time. Conservative Party, Theresa May, is committed committed herself to uh quitting rather soon um uh maybe that'll happen maybe there'll be a general election maybe um people could even decide to hold a general election on the same day as the european parliament elections uh so i all i'm really saying is um it's, it's it's very early to know what's going to happen but there are other things that can happen other than that uh the UK simply finds itself um, outside the European Union and all of the legal instruments that are a part of the European Union suddenly uh, cease to be valid and all of the um, uh, arrangements for trade and so on suddenly disappear. Um, that potentially is, uh, is uh, a, uh, a disastrous scenario and I think that people will try to avoid it. Um, but it means that they're going to have to do something else that they don't like, like delaying um, the leaving the European Union, like standing in the European Parliament elections.
0: Okay, thank you. So now that, let, say we can get a Brexit deal, um, the UK ends up leaving the European Union, What kind of an impact will this have on the European Union in the long run? What can we see develop inside the European Union, and how will the European Union react to some of these changes that it will endure in the long run, given the next state negotiation in the next few years? Uh, And Francis, we can go ahead and start with you.
2: Sure. One of the things that I'd like to underline is how remarkably united the EU27 have been throughout this entire process. Um, They have been... Really marching in in lockstep, um, I think that Michel Barnier, who is the top negotiator for the EU, has done a a remarkable job in terms of consulting with all of the member states and making sure that while they all bear some of the cost, that they stay – no one has been trying to cut extra deals with the British or separate deals, much, I think, to the surprise of some of those – who campaigned for Brexit, who thought that Germany, for example, would give them a special deal of undefined nature. So I think this is, is one of the reasons um, uh, well, but I think that the EU has found some sense of unity in this particular instance. Now, whether it will what will carry forward, there will be some economic cost. That's very clear, particularly in the Netherlands, Germany, France, countries where you have the immediate um, ties, economic ties, um, and where you have integrated supply chains. This is very bad news for Ireland, for the Republic of Ireland, not to mention Northern Ireland, but for the rest of the EU. This is bad news for for Ireland, the Republic of Ireland, even though they will gain, as will the Netherlands, um, some companies who are moving from London, uh, but they still they have integrated supply chains with Northern Ireland. Um, and, of course, I haven't even touched on the prospect of what this might do to the um, Good Friday Accord, which brought an end to the troubles in Northern Ireland and the, the great unrest uh, and conflict there. Over the longer term, I think what one is likely to see in the EU 27 is greater integration around the Eurozone um, with those countries who are not yet in the Euro being more on the periphery, although still obviously in the Union. That is because it was the British who always stood up and said that the Eurozone should not make rules for itself, which impinged on the rights of the others. And there's nobody outside the Eurozone now who really I think has that kind of weight um, and the other thing is that I think without the British we will see a more regulation heavy EU um, more of the Franco German engine which by itself is important but it was also important to have others especially the British who kind of balanced it urged yeah. it in particular yeah. ways yeah. and so I think those are the types of things that we will see a tighter eurozone a little bit of a periphery, um, and uh, a higher regulation.
1: I, I think you're right that if you ask people, I mean, I have lots of friends in, um, in the, around the EU, in Brussels. Um, if you ask them, um, uh, of course, they are pretty fed up with the, the UK at the moment. On the other hand, um, I think most of them would say that Actually, they preferred the EU with the UK in it um, because um, somehow Britain, France, and Germany um, seems to them to be work better, to be more balanced than just France and Germany. Um, but uh, I mean, the EU has got the EU has uh, has troubles of its own, um, notably the. Um, uh economic and monetary union is a success for some countries um but by no means for all of the, the members of uh, of, the, of the eurozone um italy in particular um, has had uh about zero growth uh overall for the last 20 years um so manage the U.K.'s departure from its point of view extremely well, um, but it has quite a lot of problems. Um, notably, actually, I mean, when I say quite a lot of problems, basically I think it's the, uh, the, the big problem is the unsatisfactory nature of the economic and monetary union, which was, which was badly planned and badly executed. Um, and I'm still not sure that, uh, or maybe it will, you know, maybe over long years, will eventually come to work, but it doesn't work that well at the moment.
2: As, a, as an American, I would say that one of the things that I find uh, that causes me the most worry about affecting us in the after effects of, of Brexit is that the UK and the EU have been big partners, particularly in the counterterrorism realm for us, as well as security and defense. And although the UK will stay in NATO, obviously, and will be very active in NATO, I'm concerned that if the UK leaves the EU, um, particularly since we now have the defeat of the withdrawal agreement, uh, that we may find feelings bruised on both sides to the point where There have been discussions about a security and defense partnership between the UK and the EU, but to do that, which would be a good thing to do in my view, you have to be able to um, talk to each other and negotiate in good faith, and I'm concerned that uh, the breakdown in relations or the hostility that we're seeing, um, particularly from the British side, may lead to a lot of friction in that part of the relationship, which has an impact on the United States because we are part of that collaboration. And so I am hopeful that, you know, if there has to be a divorce, you always want your friends to get on well enough so that you can continue to work with both of them. Yeah. And I'm concerned that that may not happen in this vital area right now.
1: Well, there are not that many divorces that work like that. <laughs> um, and that's the um, and uh, that's exactly. I mean, this is the this is the correct analogy. Um, and uh, the the real answer to the question, what happens in the long run, is well, it depends on the relationship that's uh, created by the UK outside. Um, but uh, I would have thought that that was almost bound in the nature of the problem because the question of leaving was bound to produce conflicts between the EU and the rest of the, uh, and, and the UK. Um, that relation was almost certain to be worse than the relationship we have at the moment. Um, and it was likely to take at the best scenario. It was likely to take time to recover. Um, now I'm not sure what's going to happen now because I think, um, most people in this country, um, will be inclined to blame Westminster rather than Brussels uh, as things go wrong, because the government has manifestly done a very incompetent job of this. Um, They ought to have understood um, that uh, the result of the referendum was close, and that feelings were very strong. Um, And they ought to have tried to run a cross-party bipartisan policy um, for the exit from the UK and they're paying the price for not doing that now. Uh, Theresa May has um, uh, tried um, enormously hard to bring the right wing of the Conservative Party um, on board I think she would have found it easier to um, bring, to form a kind of cross party coalition of the centre to do this um, but that's, that's, water un- that's water under the bridge, and that's the party politics which have actually poisoned or the origin of this and which have poisoned the process as well. But the process was, in any case, poisonous and was designed to create a bad relationship between uh, Britain and, and, the, uh, and the rest of the EU. There's no doubt about that. That's why people like me hate it.
2: Robert, if I could ask a question of you... Um- if there were to be a general election, you mentioned possibly very quickly the end of May. Um, how do you think this would turn out? Do you see a party that you think has a realistic chance that would take Britain back to uh, the EU? I, I must admit I don't I, have. To
1: Unfortunately, um, the Labour Party doesn't look that great at the moment. Um, if Jeremy Corbyn suddenly uh, decided not to be the leader of the party, then there are a lot of there are a lot of good people in it. Um, yeah. uh, but um, uh, I fear even the Labour Party is now is now poisoned by the uh, uh, by the Brexit virus and is is very divided. Um, and very large numbers of uh, Labour constituencies voted to leave without, I think, really understanding what they were doing. Um, I think that very many people voted to leave the European Union because they thought this was a good way of giving the establishment a kicking. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, And um, for example, um, uh, the uh, Sunderland voted to leave the EU. Sunderland is, the big feature of Sunderland is it's got a very big Nissan factory there, which depends um, on just-in-time delivery of parts, some of which cross the channel half a dozen times in the course of the car being um, put together eventually. Um, It seems that they were unaware of this. Before Uh, I... Oh, go ahead. I apologize.
0: Did you want to finish, sir,
1: Robert Cooper? Oh, sorry. I, uh, no, well, um, uh, I if there's a general election, I don't know what's going to happen because um, uh, the normal thing in these circumstances would be to to blame the government and the government's a conservative party and undoubtedly they've done an extremely bad job on this. And um, However... Um, uh, that's not what the opinion polls seem to show at the moment. Um, but I, I would say one other thing. I mean, what this may, what this might just possibly do is get people to think a little bit about how this country runs altogether. Um, oh, no, I can't do this. I can't do this. No, I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, sorry, I've got my other telephone ringing. I can't deal with two things at once. Um, uh, the... Um, what we ought to do is to have a look at the way in which the politics as a whole runs. Uh, The two-party system here is really wildly out of date. It it worked okay in the 1950s when the country was neatly divided into two classes, but it doesn't reflect society today. Uh, But the majoritarian first-past-the-post system produces this result. So um, a large number of people Um, The majority of people, in fact, in this country live in places where it doesn't matter how you vote, um, because they are safe seats for either one or other party. Um, And therefore, if you want to protest, um, a referendum is a great vehicle for doing it. Okay, thank you.
0: Um, I just want to ask one more question before I move it over to audience questions, Uh, and that is do you believe that Brexit may have a negative impact on some of the smaller countries within Europe uh, who are aiming to join the European Union and who have wanted to join the European Union for a while, Um, especially if you look at some of the former Yugoslav countries. Croatia has joined, but Bosnia obviously would like to, and then Serbia is sort of a special situation because they obviously are in Europe, um, but a good portion of their population feels closer to Russia, and then there was a NATO bombing in '99, uh, do you believe that Brexit will have a negative impact on some of these countries
1: and their local populations when it comes to joining the EU?: If you ask me, I think my answer is, well, no, I wouldn't actually assume that, because um, uh, the U.K. has got itself into such a fantastic mess in trying to leave that it seems to reflect more badly on the U.K. If the U.K. left smoothly and suddenly turned into a dramatic success, um, then that would have an effect. Uh, I don't see that happening.
2: I agree with that. I think that the countries in the Balkans particularly, um, just like the countries of the Baltics uh, a couple of decades ago, they want to join the club. And they see both economic prosperity and security as part of that. Um, some of them, such as in Bosnia, the leaderships have not figured out that, have not decided yet that that's what they want to do, really. They say it, but they don't want to give up what you have to give up to get into the EU in terms of corruption and self interest. I think the accession process to the EU is such a lengthy and also a such a detail-oriented process that I think countries just focus on the mechanics of getting in uh, because they want to join the club. And to them, I think that this is, um, I hate to put it this way, but some form of British eccentricity uh, that has infected Britain, and they probably don't understand at all why this is, this is happening. If Britain had been able to leave on, um, on a smooth glide path, And to work, you know, if the withdrawal agreement has been accepted today, and then there was a two year transition during which nothing much would change, but there could be negotiations for a customs union or free trade agreement, whatever arrangements uh, became uh, uh, gathered a consensus, then I think you might have seen uh, some appetite. Not in the countries you mentioned, but in countries such as Italy or the far right in the Netherlands and others to to think more about uh, Italian exit or the Netherlands. But um, I think that they would find it, I think what under any circumstances a British exit is going to demonstrate is how it really is a disincentive for foreign investment and for economic growth. I think that's what they're going to see above all over the next, if Britain leaves, over the next two years. I think that will be very, very clear.
0: Okay, thank you both. Uh, thank you both so much for your time. I'm gonna go ahead and open it up for questions. Um, and our first question is gonna to go to Dr. Mark Mailowitz. Can you hear us? Yes,
3: perfect. Um, okay, we a fantastic discussion. Here's my question. To go up a little bit, um, uh, kind of um, 10,000 feet up to look at this, um, do you think that what's happening here is that the party systems or the political systems in the United States and the UK have become completely dysfunctional? We see what's going on between the Republicans and the Democrats in the United States, but if you look at the parliament in England, I'm addicted to prime minister's questions, what I see is A lot of, I see democracy in action, but I see an enormous amount of fracture and dysfunctionality and bickering and no consensus, which may or may not be related to Brexit or could be a structural issue in both systems. I hear the Scottish Party, the, you know, of course, Jeremy Corbyn. It just is the similar idea to what's going on in the United States. What about the future of democratic institutions? And the related point is: To what extent do you think that Donald Trump had, an, or Trumpism, or the Trump approach, had on all of this? In terms of, uh, you know, in retrospect, the recommendation that Theresa May should have, you know, used more of a, a, a Trumpist approach to dealing with the uh, European Union.
1: Uh, well, let me I'll answer. Let me answer very quickly. I think that I agree with you. I, you know more about the US than I do, but I, I think our um, political system is dysfunctional. There are actually a large number of extremely decent people in Parliament, um, but I must say myself, looking at it over the last couple of weeks, I find the whole procedure is really extraordinary and. Um, and pretty antique um, and uh, I, I think that the I find the electoral system dysfunctional I don't think it gives sufficient uh, um, uh, sufficient uh, this is a system which um, if it was uh, in the economic field um, no competition regulator would allow it to exist it's a system where the costs of entry are much too high for, for any new party Um, almost impossible it's it's kind of designed to be um, designed to be an oligopoly um, designed to be a two party system and that doesn't reflect society anymore I also by the way I don't think Trump had very much to do with it, this was, this has been going on for some time before Trump Um, there are some sort of um, Trump like elements in the uh, uh, in the Leave campaign
2: I agree with what uh, Robert has said. Um, I do think that both political systems right now are pretty much dysfunctional. I would say that there is no incentive in either system for cross-party consensus. For, from the point of view of an individual politician, that incentive doesn't exist. In part that is because of media, in part in the American system it's because of money, um, But it, also is people trying to get profile. This is how you get, across, get um, profile and get ahead in your own party. Uh, and so I think that that is something that we will have to deal with. I also think that in neither case, and I would extend this to the EU27 or at least certain countries there. I think you see it with the guillet in France and those who are backing the League and Five Star in Italy. There is a group of citizens out there who feel that the establishment politics of the last few decades has not served them well, and we have not figured out how to make sure that they are adequately represented in the existing party system. Um, Robert mentioned earlier that the party system in the U.K. uh, worked very well when you had working class and upper class. But as those two have frayed, it has not been as effective. And I think that we've seen in many countries in Europe the collapse of the center left, uh, the moderate left, as the people who used to be union workers have either become less, uh, more impoverished or they've moved into the middle class. And so there's a group of people who really don't feel like this economic system is working for them.
1: And I think that's, so that's certainly, certainly true here. I might just say one thing, and that is I've been struck because I've heard it now and then. Um, I've heard now and then people talking about citizens' assemblies. Um, mm-hmm. uh, now, I don't know how serious this is, but it's a, it's a sign that people think there's something wrong with the way politics runs at the moment.
2: Right. I agree. And I think as for Trump, I think that there are parallels, but I don't think that he is a cause of Brexit or even really inspired the campaign in any real way. Um, I think that to some degree, maybe they inspired him. But um, we do see, for example, areas of the United States that are dependent more on the federal budget and welfare payments, voting for uh, a president who has turned out to be not at all supportive of those things, just as we see the north of England, which receives a great deal of funding from the EU, voting to leave the EU. Um, we, I think we do see this alienation, the voters who are alienated voting for Brexit and voting for President Trump. Um, as for President Trump's suggestion to Theresa May, that she should just sue the EU. I think that only shows how little is understood in much of Washington about the EU and this process. I won't just blame the President for that. Right, All right. Okay, thank you. Hmm.
0: Um I think we have one more question. Uh, this is from Savannah Lane. Yes, hi, thank you so much for providing a really helpful and clarifying insight to something that I think is a pretty tricky topic. Uh, So coming from an American perspective, you know, after the referendum initially, the Dow Jones dropped, I think, something like 600 points. And um, so I'm just curious what you all think this will do in terms of the American economy how it will impact American investments in the U.K. and likewise, the British investment in America is is also huge. So I'm just curious to see how you think this um, trickles trickles over into sort of an impact in what we can predict moving forward.
1: I, I mean, I I have no idea what the market says. I don't know what they're doing now, actually. Um, gone, uh, up I, gone up
2: slightly. Gone up slightly. <laughs> ah,
1: okay. Well, <laughs> if um, it's related
2: uh, to the Brexit, I have no idea. <laughs> well,
1: I mean, I would every time it looks as though there might be a No Deal Brexit, then the pound falls a lot. I don't think that that's particularly likely because. Um, come what come may everybody wants to avoid it so um uh, uh for i mean i if the assuming that the u k leaves i agree i think that that's i think that that's bad for the uh, for the u k economy uh it's not necessarily great for um for for foreign investors the u k will be less attractive um uh uh, but i just don't know i don't know what it's going to look like after after the u k leaves um, uh, the best scenario for everybody is that it doesn 't leave and thats becomes curiously the result of today 's vote that 's a little bit more possible today than it was yesterday um, because if the uh the attempt to leave has been so badly handled and so incompetent that um uh, there may be some space for people who think this is altogether itself a bad idea.
2: So I agree with uh, Robert's point that this is very bad for the U.K. if, if they leave economically. Um, in terms of the impact on the United States, I think you will see, you've already seen, U.S. firms that are active in the U.K., uh, either stopping their investment or rethinking them or thinking about moving people out of the UK uh, in case of uh, Brexit. Um, I don't think that necessarily means, particularly in the case of the financial houses, that people will all move to Europe. Some will, but some will come back to New York or other places. Um, and. I think there will be a period of time when there is really much less U.S. investment in the U.K., just as people try to see, does the situation stabilize, uh, what are the markets like? The U.S., the, the, we have many agreements with the U.K. right now that we have because the U.K. signed on as an EU member. Yes. Thing from passenger name records, which checks people's identity when they're on plane, yeah. to we don't have a trade agreement, but we have some understandings of, such as um, Privacy Shield, which allows the transfer of data across the Atlantic, of private uh, personal data. And the U.S. government and the British government have been going through a process of identifying those agreements and trying to, at least on a temporary basis, making sure that they all carry over so that there is a bilateral U.S.-U.K. agreement. Um, ah, right,
1: basically that is to say that, that will be, we will implement bilaterally what is currently implemented yes. under EU law. Yes, that's sensible.
2: Yes, and I think there's all the goodwill in the world. Um, yes. There was a little bit of a, a panic earlier this year because our government shutdown inhibited that process, slowed it down. Um, but I think that that will all be okay the larger question of a U.S.-U.K. Um, free trade agreement will depend upon what the British decide. Because if they go for a customs union, which was the indicative vote that scored the best, if you will, that yeah. had the most consensus around it, that will not allow Britain to make its own trade agreements in the sense that Liam yeah. Fox and others have been advocating So I think that, you know, President Trump has been saying that we're going to have a great free trade agreement with the U.K., but we have to wait and see uh, what the terms are for the U.K. leaving the E.U., if it does leave, uh, in terms of trade, and whether it does it uh, with a customs union or without.
1: Right. Well, if if the U.K. does leave, and it does leave, Outside the customs union and outside the uh, EU regulatory framework, which is what Theresa May intended,
3: then I'm sure the
1: US will end up getting a great free trade agreement with us, because um, uh, trade agreements are brutal negotiations in which the only thing that matters is how big you are. So the US US, US and we will not be nice. No, yes, I, will, it's, uh, state agreements are not nice.
2: No, and I do know that we will, of course, hope or encourage uh, an independent Britain to reconsider the way it has been approaching genetically modified organisms and other issues um, that have been the subject of US-EU yep. trade negotiations yep. for many years.
0: Well, I want to thank you both uh, for taking the time to join us today. It really was a fruitful discussion. Um, And thank you for all those that tuned in today uh, to listen to the discussion. We will have an event summary or a telecom summary and a recording of this available on our website and our social media accounts in the coming uh, day or so. So thank you all again very much for taking the time to join us today, especially to our distinguished speakers.
1: Thank you. Thank you
0: very much. Thank you. Take care. Bye.